Before we get started, I just wanted to share with you all that I've just started a new YouTube channel in 2024. I'm basically going to be sharing every single thing I have learned about commercial property, residential property in video format. So if you do want to check out and understand a little bit more about commercial property and residential investing, and you want to have some more visuals and stuff like that, you can check out my YouTube channel. It's just under my name, Andrew Bean. My handle is at AndrewBean28. I'm putting out videos weekly. And if you guys could show me some love and go and subscribe to the channel. And if you think you've got value already from this podcast, just wait till you see these videos I am putting together, breaking down all of the tactics, all of the knowledge that I have on investing in real estate. So if you like watching videos on YouTube, go and subscribe to my YouTube channel, Andrew Bean. That would be awesome. Check out the link in the show notes. This is the Commercial Property Show, Australia. Show number 66. I'm starting to get the feeling that this deal didn't do exactly what it was supposed to do and it might be an unhappy ending, unfortunately. (laughs) Just so everyone knows, I don't know how this deal turned out. I know that it it definitely, something happened, but I was very much coming in here hoping that you're going to tell me it was all sunshine and rainbows, (laughs) but I guess we'll learn a lot more from the unhappy ending, possibly. Exactly. Hey, commercial property community, welcome back to the commercial property show. My name is Andrew Bean. I am your host today. And in today's show, I have an absolute killer episode. It's actually a return guest, Cecilia Axelson, who, if you were listening to the show for a long time, she came on the show back in episode 52. And she told us about her holy grail vendor finance deal, which was an absolute crazy deal. No money down. She had investors helping her, vendor finance piece helping her. It was really, really exciting. And she's come back on to give us an update of exactly how that deal went. Unfortunately, she had a lot of bad luck and she learned a lot from this deal. And she was willing and brave enough to share it with us. And I I really, really thank her for that because there's so many people that are going to learn from this. Thousands of people that are going to really be able to understand, you know, when deals go wrong. Deals can go wrong, people. So it's really cool to be able to have someone have the courage to come on to a a big podcast and really share where things went wrong, what she could have done better, the bad luck that she had. Crazy, crazy story. Really excited to get it out to you guys and I hope you like it. My audio on the podcast was a bit scratchy at the start. I had the levels wrong, but I did fix that up pretty early on the podcast. So the audio does get better on my behalf. Investing in commercial property is a lot like a team sport. You need a lot of good players around you to complete a property transaction. No one can do it alone. If you're like me and want to surround yourself with like-minded people who have similar property goals, 
people who motivate you and push you to achieve more, then come and join the commercial property community today. You can find our private group on Facebook by searching commercial property community, or you can click on the link in the show notes. Our expert guests are just waiting to answer your questions in the forum. And together, we can help each other reach the ultimate goal of financial freedom. All right, my next guest is a commercial property investor, a micro residential developer, a project manager, and a mum. She also pulled off a holy grail commercial property vendor finance deal back in 2021. She's a returning guest and none other than Cecilia Axelson. How are you, Cecilia? Fantastic. Thank you so much. What an introduction. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's all true. <laughs> it's very, very accurate. It's all true. So, Wow. I'm like, who is he talking about? <laughs> <laughs> How is your son? I know you had just had a newborn the last time we spoke back in uh, 2022. We actually did a recording. Yes. How is your son? It's daughter, but uh, yes. Oh, daughter. She's, sorry. She's good. She had a little episode in, in December when we actually ended up in hospital, which was Oh, quite no. scary but besides that she's all recovered now and well and good is it time to go again do you dare going for a double no. i'm done <laughs> i'm done what do you That's think it. <laughs> <laughs> well i got suckered into a double so yeah. i don't see why you shouldn't <laughs> because i'm the decider right (laughs) (laughs) that's right so today we're actually going to have a chat about that holy grail vendor finance deal um, and how it turned out if you missed that episode back in 2022 when that was released it was episode 52 and i'll link it in the show notes just so you can check that out if you need a bit of context around what we're talking about but for the listeners who missed that episode Can you just give us a quick run through of the holy grail deal that you pulled off back in December of 2021? Yeah, for sure. Well, I'll give a little bit more background as well. So I have my daughter in March 2021 and I was already, because I didn't, I was on a temporary visa, so I didn't get any maternity leave or anything like that. So that was when I seriously started to look for cash flow deals because I'm thinking, we need more cash flow in this household yep. because I'm now going to be off for a whole year. And I also had already the three townhouse deal on the go. And I wanted to do the construction during my maternity leave so I could uh, have more flexibility to go to site, etc. So that's where it all sort of started. And I found the deal probably in July, about July 2021, and then settled in December 2021. So it took all that time to go through all the due diligence and to negotiate and, you know, with the vendor finance, especially because there's another layer of complexity there. So the deal was we landed on a purchase price of 1.82 million and Mm. the vendor finance Mm. component of that was 440,000. And then the deal was that that was going to get paid off in two installments. So the first installment was 200,000 and that was in April 2022 so not very long at all so essentially four months after settlement and then the second installment was a bit longer that was June 2023 so 18 months after and that was for 240 so that was for the balance basically so in December when I signed and settled the construction was underway and was going well and I actually escaped 
most of the COVID dramas that most people had. And we only had like about three week delay, which was due to the shutdown mainly and not really anything that the builder missed or didn't order or anything like that. So we were very... And this is your development project that you had also going on, the three townhouses development that was basically getting sold and finished in April and you were going to use that as the funds for this initial first payment. Exactly. So that was one strategy to do that. And then I also had another backup strategy and that was to sell off. So this property, the commercial property, it's over seven titles, but it's essentially over two separate buildings, but they are just next to each other. So Mm -hmm. three shops, they are on three separate titles, but they are not fire separated individually. So they are fire separated as a bulk of three shops. And then the double story building is fire separated and its own thing. So the second strategy I had was to sell those three shops and that way pay back part of it or all of it, depending on what they would sell for. Now, there was also a really beneficial clause in the vendor finance contract, which was that I could extend it to end of June without Mm -hmm. any penalty as such. Well, I think, no, there was an 8% interest charge for doing that, but that was sort of negligible. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah. So I exercised that because all the fun sort of started in the beginning of 2022. That's when things started sort of not going to plan. I guess the first thing that started going pear-shaped was the section 138 approval for the townhouse development so that went back and forth with the council seven times (laughs) (laughs) and this is a separate project that didn't go right that's right so because they're so intertwined in the way that I was going to resolve the financing basically what I was trying to do I was trying to just like do too much without actually having the money when I actually needed it. So I was trying to sort of juggle two projects at the same time just to have my foot on enough land while it was still growing because that was just before all the interest hikes happened and everything. And I also based all of these risky decisions on the fact that the RBA had gone out and said in July of 2021 that it was very unlikely that they would move the interest rate before 2024. Yes, I remember. That was such an annoying thing they said because if you're basing your whole buying strategy off that, you really got burnt. You should always have, you know, and that's one of the lessons that I've learned, like you just need to have more contingency in place. But I did base most of my decisions on that because I thought, oh, there is no way. They just, they can't do it. You know, too many people are going to get hurt. There's no way they're going to do it. If they do it, they will do it slowly. (laughs) The complete opposite happened. Like they started much earlier and they did it fast. So I would say that that is the main reason to everything not working out the way that I planned it to because the market just changed so quickly after that started happening because their numbers were just looking so different for investors. So I'm starting to get the feeling that this deal didn't do exactly what it was supposed to do. And it might be a, an unhappy ending, unfortunately. Because yes. <laughs> this is just so everyone knows, I don't know how this deal turned out. I know that it, it definitely, something happened, but I was very much coming in here hoping that you're going to tell me it was all sunshine and rainbows. <laughs> but I guess we'll yeah. learn a lot more from the unhappy ending, possibly. 
Exactly. That's right. And that's, I mean, I've listened to podcasts and other people doing stuff in business and development. And that's why I'm even sharing this story because, I mean, it's not a good news story for me, but it's a learning lesson for everybody and me included. Yep. And it is very useful to hear, like when it doesn't go to plan, because you hear a lot about the success stories, because it's really painful to tell the bad story. Nobody wants to do it. So there's only very few stories out there where you actually hear the bad stuff, because it's very risky and it can go very wrong. Yep. And I would say this has gone like very wrong. So basically, so say June, we just take it from June, because that was when the first installment was due. The, mm-hmm. the townhouse project was supposed to be finished and sold. Yep. And also, as a side note, I had two money partners involved on that project as well. So there's three money partners involved here that needs to get paid back, and they're all sort of screaming for money at the same time. Yeah, right. And I have sold nothing, right? The builder was on track with his building, so I can't blame him for that. Uh, the roadworks then got delayed, so we couldn't actually finish the development because we just couldn't get the Section 138 approval to build the road and the driveway and the footpath and all of that. And we also had to upgrade yep. the stormwater. We had to do a whole new stormwater pit because we were on the corner block. So that got delayed, and that development that was anticipated to be sold and settled and everything in June, I didn't get OC until October that same year. Wow. So just to paint the picture, I've now defaulted on the vendor finance first instalment. So June 2022, say I've defaulted on that. I've also defaulted now on the main investor for the townhouse project. So that loan went from 25% interest per annum to 37.5% interest per annum. Whoa. Hope everyone's sitting down. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> And then I had the other loan as well with an investor that I worked on on my previous townhouse project, and that was sitting at 20% with no default. So that just kept going, basically. It was a hard month. Like, it's been hard to sleep ever since. And then I started to sort of put in GST. Just, I mean, I just tried to get money from anywhere, right, uh, just to at least pay something down. There was not much I could do about the construction at that point because I also had to pay the civil contractor to finish the work so we could finish the development so I could put it on the market and sell and settle and move on. So that didn't, the first unit sold in December, November, December, something like that of 2022 and didn't settle until February 2020. Three, yep. due to the delay in registration. So there was an issue as well at that end with the surveyor making a mistake on the drawing. So the land titles office then the send it back and had to, it also got changed like multiple times. And that was due to the consultant that I had engaged. He got so busy. So he had then outsourced this to another surveyor and he'd made this mistake so and you just don't know what happens behind the scene that was just like bad luck that yet another thing you know what I mean that delayed everything so in February 2023 I could then finally pay off a good chunk of the one the biggest investor that I had on the townhouse project and I could also pay off some of the vendor finance but what I also did was I took out a personal loan of 70,000 
to mm-hmm. to close out that vendor finance first instalment. So at least like that was paid. But there was still one hundred and thirty thousand dollars that was missing from that first instalment, right? Two hundred and forty. So the first instalment was two hundred. So I used personal loan plus some additional funds from the settlement. Plus, I could also use some GST that I'd claimed back from the construction. So I just mm-hmm. sort of like pulled it all together and then I paid the first installment off. But the second installment was then, you know, going to be due in June anyway, that same year. In the meantime, you know, I've been trying to sell off the shops and of course it's been changing. And then on top of that, <laughs> we had, we had, it just sounds ridiculous almost because it's just, Everything's just happening at the same time, but it always is like that. Yep. We had some tenants stopping paying rent because their son ended up in hospital. So yep. we had that. And then the AC broke in one of my best tenants, tenancy. So she obviously stopped paying rent as well. And that cost like 21000 to replace that whole system. And then twenty one thousand to replace the whole aircon. Yeah, to replace the whole aircon. Yeah, well, and she's a yeah, really it can good, be very expensive. Yeah, very expensive. And she's a really good tenant, so you know I wanted to keep her happy. So yeah, it's been an interesting couple of years. And then on top of that, there was a rain event, and there was a leak in the same tenant's tenancy that we then had to figure out as well. So that just took so much investigation and I had to send up like fans. I had to order fans from Bunnings because she didn't have aircon. It was wet and it, a terrible time for her and her business as well. Thankfully, it was sort of at the Christmas break from like 2022 to 2023. So she had the shutdown period there where, where I could send tradies and, and try and resolve it all. So that did get resolved and there is no longer leaking. We found the leak eventually. Um, it all got fixed, new system. Then <laughs> another air con- There's more. There's more. Then another <laughs> air con breaks down. No. Yeah, so that got fixed as well. But every time, you know, and this is so interesting because you hear about this. And, I mean, I knew it was an older building. You just yep. you just don't think that. And I knew that I had to spend some money on it. But these things weren't issues that I were going to address because they weren't an issue when I bought it. I yep. planned to do other things like renovate the facade, replace the, the roof sort of facing the street because it just like it, it actually isn't leaking, <laughs> but it just looks bad. So I was planning to do that. But all the money went to paying people back and just doing sort of acute repairs. And it's not until you've really lived it, because I've heard it a million times on other people talking about repairs. And But when you get that bill for, you know, over 20 grand and you go, holy moly. Like, this yeah, is well. the last, and then you think, ah, oh, that's what they mean when they say you should have enough cash reserves to be able to tackle hard times so that's a huge lesson with commercial it's like when you're not getting rent and stuff happens as well at the same time I mean it's just you're burning at both ends and you really want a healthy bank account that can really sustain that it sounds like everything that could have gone wrong did go (laughs) wrong almost pretty much pretty much so yeah so Where did we go from there? So then I, yes. Oh, another thing actually happened as well with the lender for the development project. That is another lesson when it comes to lenders. I will never, ever work with a lender again in a development 
project that isn't a specific development or construction lending lender because you just need them to be on your side. Like you need them to work with you because construction is construction and things don't always go to plan, et cetera, et cetera. And you just need to be able to trust their word. So they had said to me that after the first settlement, so I sold one of the three units, that was the largest unit, I sold that. And I could have actually paid back that major funder, my private funder, if they would have stuck to the word of keeping the stock of two units and refinancing them at 80%. Three days before settlement, they changed their mind and said, oh, no, we actually like to keep it at 65% because that's what it is now. Well, of course, that's what Mm. it is now because I've just added value by building three new, new units. So there's equity there. But they had previously promised to revalue at 80%, just a standard residential investment loan for the two remaining ones. And that would have released enough equity so I could have paid her off. But that meant that I got $300,000, a little bit over that even, less at settlement. Yeah, wow. (laughs) So that didn't help. And that was a very hard conversation for me to have to call her as well three days before settlement when she she thinks that she's getting all her money back. I haven't said anything different and say, well, you're getting $200,000, you are not getting $500,000. And is this the development or is this the Townsville property? No, this is the development project. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, So just so that the listeners are clear, we are talking about two separate projects. The Holy Grail deal that Cecilia did pull off last uh, 2021 was in Townsville. I think it was about seven or 11 shops. It had a residential apartment upstairs that you're going to put your Airbnb. All the apartments were potentially able to be strata titled so you could sell them off individually. There was a little bit of vacancy. You were going to firm up those leases put some more tenants in and you were going to sell it all off and it was going to be all happy days. And you were banking on this other residential townhouse, this three pack of townhouses that you were developing as well, that you had been doing that for a little while. That was basically the trigger to pay off all of the other things to go forward. So that was the first domino that I guess it was supposed to fall, but it didn't fall the right way. Is that pretty much a big, a good sum up of what? Yes what it was that's it that's it so that was supposed to but but it wasn't fully reliant on that it also had that second strategy of selling off the three shops and yep. just keeping the big two story with it. so there's five one bedroom units and three shops in yep. one building okay. and then in the other building there's three shops and basically. so did you ever sell off any of the shops no i haven't so i have got a tenant in in one of the vacancies so that was good but then I also lost a tenant in another shop that wasn't vacant. So, I mean, we're kind of back to where we were in a way. So I haven't been able to sell those shops off. And that one thing that I do regret is that I didn't put those shops on the market sooner when the interest rates still were the same. Yeah. So this wasn't from lack of like, you just did, you didn't not sell the shops because you weren't trying. You may have not put it on as soon as you wanted to, or, or in hindsight, you should have, but you were actively trying to sell these shops. I remember you were, um, there was a couple of uh, posts you were like, just taking into your own hands too, like trying to find investors in Facebook groups to try and sell these off. Cause on yeah. face value, I think it was a reasonably good tenancy with good leases and stuff. It was, it looked like a pretty good deal. Yeah. How far along did you get down with anyone? Did you have offers on the property? How did the sale go for that part of the the deal? 
So then when those shops didn't sell them, we tried to sell the double story one instead. So I did have an offer for that, but it was just too low. Like I just couldn't accept it because if I accept an offer, then I will have to pay out because then the security is gone. If I've sold the property, the security is gone. So then I need to pay everybody back. And it wouldn't have been enough to pay out the vendor finance plus the bank. So I just couldn't accept it, unfortunately. Yeah, wow. So did you ever look at selling the whole thing off at like to try and get rid of it? And would that have actually like cleared the whole debt? Because I'd imagine after you did a bit of work to it, you did firm up some tenancies. Obviously, you didn't get to do the the renovations on the facade like you wanted to. But Mm -hmm. I'd imagine that you did increase the value of the property somewhat, increasing the rents, making them better leases. Yeah, look, it's a little bit tricky, the Townsville market, I've found, in terms of leasing. So they're quite reluctant to taking on the longer leases. They all want to sort of go with the one-year, two-year option. Only the one tenant that had the major AC problem, she has said that she's interested in signing a longer lease, like a mm-hmm. three-year, and that we're not talking longer than three, like a three-year lease with two, three-year options. So, but that's that's the only one that has really said that they're willing to take up longer leases. So that's been a challenge throughout that I I actually didn't realize that it was like that. I don't know if it's the property, but I've you know I've asked the agents and multiple other agents and it's like, what can I do? Like, what do you think I should do? Is there a problem? Uh, you know, should we like change the floor? Like, what do you want us to do? Like, is that no, no, it's fine. Everyone says it's fine, but it can't be fine because then obviously it would lease quicker. And it would yeah. sell. And so I'm still not too sure exactly what the problem is. The only thing that I know is that there's not that much parking. Like each and everyone has a parking spot, but there's not like 20 additional car spots for their customers. And that yeah, could I, be I, a problem. I think, it, yeah, I think it could have a, a, a to do with that. Townsville historically in the last five years or so that I've been tracking it through CP data has had the most, the highest vacancy of all sectors in Australia. So there's a lot of options for tenants out there. So they don't have to pigeonhole themselves into one property because they know they've got a lot of options. Um, There's just the office space is very, very vacant. Retail is extremely vacant and and industrial is still nowhere near like where you would want it to be. I'm investing into a market. That's just what the data is telling me. That's purely just off data. It yeah. might be looking a bit different on face value when your boots on the ground. Different places in Townsville would definitely be easier to rent. But just on the whole body of data that I have for that particular region or town, it does show that it's high vacancy on all sectors. Mm. Which is so interesting because there's all this talk about, you know, it's tightening and it's growing and they have all the economic drivers, but it just seems to be not really there yet. Like yeah, it might yeah. be coming, but it's not there yet. Yeah, I think it is slowly making steps forward, but there's just entirely too much vacancy for mm. in the commercial market. The The residential market is absolutely booming yes. in Townsville. It has had a lot of pressure on, on prices and you can still get houses quite affordable for even like under $400,000 in some places in Townsville. So the commercial sector particularly... I have been personally avoiding and I've been anyone that's been talking to me about Townsville in the last at least at least three years, I've been telling them to avoid it as well. 
Mm, it's so interesting because I was like, no, this is going to, you know, really boom and like the population growth is like 50% until I think it was like 20, 30. Yeah, it has all something. the makings to be yeah. a good diverse market, but That's it just it. hasn't gone over that and, and taken that next step yet. It's one of those things that no matter the market, good or bad, the market will always win. Yeah. 100%. That is just purely just the truth. And, you know, you listen to all these things and education and blah, blah, blah. And the thing is that it's like, yes, always push them for a three-year list or more. But if they are not going to sign up to that, they're just not going to sign up to that because they are holding the power in that regard. And you can't, I mean, yeah, play hardball, but you can't because they'll go somewhere else. So you kind of have to accept it just so you have someone paying rent. You have to accept the one-year leases. And that obviously affects the valuation and everything and the resale potential. Yeah, because when you bought it, it had one-year leases, but they were actually like even lower than one-year leases. They've gone partly through that one-year lease, right? For some, I can't, I can't actually remember now because the one part that has done the best is the one-bedroom units. And I'm so lucky that there are five of them. They are always mm. full. Like we yep. never struggle to find anyone for those units. And they generally actually pay on time as well. So that's been sort of holding the property up in terms of cash flow. But, I mean, I knew this as well. The vendor was in one unit. So he left, but I knew that that was going to happen. So that one became vacant. So I had to find someone for that. That didn't actually take too long. So I've got a roofer in there now. And then the other ones, they actually had a few years. So I think it was expiry 2025 and 2024. So that's sort of coming up now. But those are the two best tenants that I've got. So we've already been discussing, you know, if if they want to stay and, extend etc she just wants to test that the ac really is fixed and that the water leaks are fixed so she said i'll sign up for a 12 month and then if it's all good i'll sign up for another three years so that's coming up now in march i think to reassess her lease that is a good news story but my new tenant in number 11 they only signed up for one year again with a two-year option so it's still these like one year here one year there yep And it's just the biggest thing that it affects is just the valuation for refinance and just the resale potential because people just scare away from it and buyer's agents don't want to take it to their clients because it just needs to be a longer, more secure lease because they're sort of putting their name on the line to present this property. So it needs to be a little bit more secure than that. Yeah, so it's funny how the residential rental shortage almost like bailed out the property a little bit. Like that was the real, the thank God (laughs) there's a shortage of rental properties. So that property, those five properties are always tenanted. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And like I get messages on the back of my really old ad for the commercial trying to get someone in there that just like people just want to move in there because they have nowhere to live. So they're like, oh, I don't care that it's commercial. I can just live on the floor. (laughs) And I'm like, well, thank you. And I would love if you could do that because I really want some rent. But unfortunately, it's highly illegal. So we can't do that. (laughs) Yep. Yep. So I guess where are we up to with this deal? So you haven't paid back. You've missed a few dates. You haven't been able to pay back the developer for the residential townhouse development. You paid them back 200,000, not 500,000. You've missed a couple of milestone payments for the vendor finance deal in Townsville. So what ended up happening next? Do you still own this property? Yes, I do. That's a big win there. 
that's just that's hands down. <laughs> this is a good story now. It's, I, it's I always thought you were going to say it's, the way you were talking, like you've lost this deal, you've gone bankrupt, and then just in like just little step. nuances when you were saying like I've still got this tenant or this is still a twelve year lease. I'm like, there's a glimmer of hope here. <laughs> <laughs> You know? No, it's it's so, it's absolutely true. Like it's I'm starting to see the light. Like it's I yeah. feel like I'm coming out of the dark hole that I was in, and it's starting to resolve itself. And I'm just praying for interest drops now. Yeah. So what's happened now is that I've sold another townhouse, so that was good. I could then almost clear one of the residential investors. So I only owe her 30000 now. So I'm on track on paying that back in the next couple of months. So that's really, really good. Then I still owe the other residential investor money, but she's very fine with it. So I've had conversations with her. She was involved in my other project. She's like, I'm in no rush because I've said, look, it's probably better now to just hold and wait for the interest drop because otherwise we're just going to have to sit. This is the absolute bottom and we're going to have to sell at a bottom price. So if you're willing to just earn more interest, we'll just leave it for now and yep. we'll revisit in like eight months time and see what's happening. And I said, look, if I get a good offer, a good enough offer, I will sell and I'll, I'll pay you back. So she's fine with that strategy. So at least I don't have to stress about that one so much. Okay. Um, so we know, where is the townhouse development that you were doing? On the Central Coast. Oh, it's on Central Coast. Yeah. Okay. So it's it's still a, a very, very good market. It's not super regional. It's still, you know, close yes. to capital cities and it's it's a good market. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's right. It's just, but it's probably more of an investor product than an owner-occupier product because it's a two-bedroom. So... And that was another lesson as well. To build a two-bedroom in that location was the wrong product. So the good product was the three-bedder. It sold in one day. And the two-bedders were like harder to move. So, you know, it's all like good lessons to learn. So in terms of the vendor finance, I've paid him back his first installment. I'm late on the second installment. We've had email conversations about it. I've presented a couple of strategies. He's like, yep, please try and work on those strategies. And then I'll come back to him and I said, look, they didn't turn out. And I'm actually going to, I'm yet to catch up with my agent just to see if he's mm-hmm. had any movement in the last sort of couple of weeks. But I mean, it's very quiet in January anyway, but we're catching up regularly. And then I'm going to email him sort of the update to tell him, you know, when he can expect or not expect his payment and i'm also looking at refinancing that property now and so when you actually got this over the line did the titles all change into your name or was it still in his name until his vendor finance piece was paid out no so all into my uh, trust structure and then he put a second mortgage on the property Okay, so you already own it. It's just a matter of fact of being able to figure out how to pay him back. So yeah. what was the compromise that you've you've come back to him with for the second payment? So I was suggesting that I get another investor involved that wanted to be a more of a long-term investor. So that was going to be one of my friends that expressed interest, but then yep. they didn't have that amount. So it wouldn't work anyway. And then I also... I said, look, I'm trying to sell the three shops as well. However, that wouldn't have paid him off the whole because my lender, my current lender, wouldn't have let me pay back that money. They would have kept more themselves, if that makes sense. Like they didn't want to go to that level of LVR 
that mm-hmm. I would have needed to actually be able to clear him completely. And the only thing is with the second mortgage is that it's quite hard to refinance because not, yes. not a lot of lenders will look at it. And then you also get a quite high interest rate, et cetera. But I mean, I'm on an astronomical interest rate now because I, I, I know that we wanted to discuss the interest rate, so I might as well go into that now. Uh, so it started at 465 not mm-hmm. fixed. It was variable. So I've really been... I've had uh, lashes every time it goes up. So it's sitting at 9.44 yep. at the minute. 9.44. Yeah, and that's, yeah. you know, pretty astronomical. Even in yeah. today's market, 9.44 is, that's like a point higher than a bad interest rate. That's yeah, it. wow. And and that is the, the reason is that, you know, there was vendor finance involved and there was minimal equity in the deal. And yeah. those are the lenders that you can get at, when it's like a little bit complicated like that and the second mortgage and all of that. So at the time, it seemed expensive. Now it, did, it no, seems yeah. cheap. Yeah. At the time when you first got it, it was 4.65 yeah. and it was like back in the 2% interest environment. And I was like, wow, you've really paid through the, the teeth for this. Yeah. And then now that's like an insanely like awesome interest rate. GIAT would have been good if it was fixed, but that's this is the trade-off that you make to try and get deals over the line. You have to be able to be able to give the bank or give the financer something to be able to run these creative deals. And I still think that you retaining this property is still a massive win. I have to thank my finance partners, like my vendor. Like, I mean, he could take me to court. He could take this property off me, right? Like he could try yeah. and he hasn't done that. So I'm hugely grateful for that of course because it's just that's just the next level of pain and you know there's personal guarantees on anything of course I mean I could go bankrupt if everybody exercised their rights I would go bankrupt yep so in the venture agreement or the joint venture or actually a vendor finance agreement what was the the recourse that they could take is it just basically you default and yeah. It just goes back to him. Well, it because they don't have first mortgage, so it won't go back to him. So Think Tank, he can then exercise his right to come after anything else that I own. So there yep. is a personal guarantee in place, which means he could come after the remaining property, the remaining town. He could force me to sell that at whatever price just so he yep. can get his money back. But or, again, he doesn't have first mortgage over that property, right? So the bank will always get their part and then he will just take the rest. That's what he could do. Yeah. And would you be responsible for his all his legal fees for his taking yeah. action to take you to court? Yeah. Obviously, he would pay them up front, but then eventually you would still have that lumped on, that debt put onto you, right? So it wouldn't really cost him too much down the line, but just up front. That's it. So this guy's obviously a very, very nice bloke. He doesn't want to ruin your life. And he. <laughs> I probably would say that he understands you came in with all of the good intentions. Yes. This was never, ever how it would was supposed to work out. And probably a little bit of like oversight as in like making things happen too quickly to make sure if this happens, then that should happen. And also, I think you had an extreme amount of bad luck with the market turning, interest rates going up. So many things just didn't go your way. Mm. If the market didn't turn and the things, you know, interest rates didn't go up, do you think it would have been a little bit of a different story? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Because the townhouses would have just sold like hotcakes, like they did. So even with the delays, with the approvals, if the interest rate didn't go up when it did, it would have still been fine. 
and I would have been yep. able to do all the things that I wanted to do. I would have been able to refinance and, and all the rest. So because also when this happened, you know, my ability to refinance has, has changed as well because my borrowing capacity is, is lower as well because of the interest. Mm. So so it's like it's really compresses like from both ends and then all the interest repayments are higher on the loan that still isn't in my personal name, but because it's not cov- the rent is not covering anymore. So I mean, I'm throwing thousands a month at this now just to pay the interest and all the other expenses. So yeah, it definitely, it's hard to say to someone that doesn't have any money, like, oh yeah, make sure you have enough money. That means don't do any creative deals. So if you yep. are still looking at doing creative deals, which you know, you definitely should, I would say maybe do one creative deal at a time. Don't do two creative deals that rely on that each other. That hinge off each other. Yeah, yeah. That's like massive risk. Yeah, wow. So, I mean, the, the big thing here that I, I think is where you got a false sense of confidence is it's the damn RBA telling <laughs> us that they wouldn't, interest rates wouldn't go up until 2024. Yeah. Like, that's criminal. Like, you can't say that. And then the highest, the quickest it's ever gone up in human history of Australia. Like, it's just so, like, deceiving. I know. Yeah. No, that is, I mean, look, they should have just not put a date on it at all. Like, if they could just say something general. Yeah. Just say something vague and general and we'll make our own decision about it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, in terms of, like, the biggest lessons, what, were the biggest lessons that you've learned? So I have a little lessons learned here actually that I wrote down just to sort of like what is the biggest lesson under all of the small other lessons. But I would say if you have limited or no money at all, um, sometimes in the feasibility it makes more sense money-wise to take on a private investor loan at an interest rate with a fixed time frame that then mm-hmm. often changes into a higher interest rate if you miss that time frame. So there are so many things that you actually can't control, even if you do everything right. So I guess I will rather make less money in the future or like on paper, like in the feasibility, make less money and just do a JV split. So like you share the risk and you share the profit just to take the stress because it stops actually being about the money. Then it's just about sleepless nights because when you're under so much pressure, you actually can't function. Like you're so stressed. So even if it means less profit, just like share the risk, you know what I mean? You make sure that they're up for it as well because it's a risky game, both development and commercial property. It can be risky. And I think, uh, I didn't go with inexperienced people this time, but I have in the past. And it's always better to invest with people that know what's going on and they're not too emotional about it and they don't need the money next week to buy a family home because then now you're also carrying the burden of ruining their future. It's like, oh, I found my dream home and you haven't paid my money back yet. So I don't want to ever invest with anyone that isn't like a professional investor. And if stuff happens... I want a clear path of like, this is what happens. And, you know, we share the risk. And if it takes longer, it takes longer. Because things usually wash out with time and you can resolve it. But if you have that time pressure on you, and then that means astronomical interest rate, then, you know, the profit just diminishes, essentially. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's so interesting. Don't get me wrong. I still think you've done well. The amount of stress 
that you would have had and also putting undue stress on your relationship with your with your husband just everything I still like tip my hat to you and say you've done well to retain this property. I have a feeling that it will end up being a very, very good deal. It will take time for this deal to come really good. Um, But, you know, in 10 years, it'll be like, okay, this property now has earned, is increased by half a million dollars. um, And now I've really reaped the rewards. It just, it just took a long, jaded, crazy, (laughs) difficult path to get there through fires, bushes, streams, rivers storms you name it you've gone through it yeah unbelievable like uh you know story so is there anything well i'm sure there is is there anything that you would do differently now yes i am a risk taker of course you know otherwise i wouldn't even have done any of this stuff but i have now become a lot more humble with that i guess and i am more risk averse now which probably it was a lesson that I needed to learn anyway I probably wish that I learned it on on something of lesser value (laughs) than the combined total of the two but that's okay it is what it is I'm still alive we're still here you know what I mean like they they haven't taken me to court yet so it's all happening I'm still looking for like my next deal to make yep. much wiser decisions and go in with like a money partner, sort of 50-50%. And I would never, ever accept a deal like that again with the 37.5% penalty interest. Like I just would never do it again. I would never rely on a time frame that heavily again because you just don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Are you saying that you would structure the deal differently now? Yeah, I would. Like I wouldn't have the financials of the deal rely so heavily on things getting done by an exact date. So I would never go in on that type of loan agreement again, where Mm -hmm. after this date, on top of your interest, you're getting 12.5% additional. Now you're paying an additional 37.5% because it kills the deal. Like it just kills the deal. And all that happened was, you know, there was a couple of delays, whatever, like Things like that does happen. So, and you just like other things happen too, like the interest and all of the things that you actually have no control over. So I would never put a deal at risk like that again. And if the the financier is not willing to take on some of that risk themselves, then I'm just going to look for another funder. Like I'm not going to get desperate again to like, do a joint venture, do a deal with somebody because you just like want to do the deal so bad that you just accept things that you shouldn't accept. And I will never do that again. And the same with with the vendor finance on the commercial deal. If I ever did that again, I would never accept short timeframes like that because they're too short. You can't actually do anything in that time. It's way too short. So you need just longer timeframes. Commercial is just a slower beast and you just mm. need longer. So I guess like just like trying to unpack that a bit more is like you had you wanted to do this deal so bad. You saw it was a great deal and I, I still commend you for like jumping in and doing it. Taking action is one of the biggest things that people don't do. So I guess you had like you wanted to do it so bad that you had rose colored glasses on a little bit and then things that if you weren't desperate to do the deal, you may have said, hang on, this is probably a little bit too much risk to take on. But because the deal was a holy grail deal, I was amazed when you were telling me about it, you know, back when we first spoke to you um, in 2022. And this particular deal, the way you did it, it actually almost spurred me on because I was also trying to do this type of stuff as well. It spurred me on to keep on going 
I've ended up doing a similar thing with an option on a very, very large self-storage facility that I'm turning from a $5 million self-storage facility into close to a $9 million self-storage facility in 12 months. That's amazing. But yeah. Your deal was like, well, you know, this is, this is proof. You know, now it's, <laughs> it's like, um, you know, what was it uh, where the, the four minute mile or something when no one could do it and then one person broke it. And then in the next couple of like weeks or months, like five or 10 <laughs> or 15 people ended up breaking it. I knew it could be done. Yeah. So it definitely uh, spurred me on. But I mean, um, but did you find... That's good though, but just don't do the stupid stuff. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's right. Well, hopefully it all turns out. But um, so did you find it difficult running the deal from a distance? Because you are in Sydney. The Townsville property is obviously in Townsville. Was it difficult to do that from a distance? It's not difficult, but you lose control. So you rely on all these other people, mainly your manager. And I have swapped my uh, manager since as well to another manager and she's much better. But yeah, it's like, look, ideally, especially since I work in construction, I mean, I would have wanted to be there during all of the repairs. I don't just want to accept a phone call saying this is broken. Like, show me, you know, show me what is broken. What does it look like? How does the, where does the water actually come in and like, cause, and help them figure out what it is as well. And sometimes they don't all, the trades don't always have the best solutions. You know, they'll just say something because they've got other jobs to go to. So the fact that I could never really assess that myself, that is not ideal for a property that requires a bit of maintenance, like, you know, regular maintenance things. So that's the only thing. I mean, doing it, at a distance, I probably would recommend to go with like a newer build that is more of a set and forget or have the time available to actually go there and check it out. But I mean, I was back at work full time. There was no way I could just like fly up on a Wednesday when I got a phone call on the Tuesday. So yeah, that's the only thing. You lose control. That's all. A hundred percent. But you also, you're you're experienced. You work in the, the construction industry. You're a project manager. This wasn't your first residential townhouse development was it no that's right so but I was talking about the commercial now as well like with the repairs and everything so like when they called about things that had broke and things that we needed to fix that you know was then going to cost in the tens of thousands of dollars you really want to check it you know you really do because you don't want them to take you for a ride as well you so you just have to trust that people are doing the right thing and when you're not from there I don't know. Like it sometimes feels like why is everything breaking all of a sudden? Yeah. And I'm yeah. this sort of Sydney investor. Yeah. You know Everyone what I mean? thinks it's Sydney investors, you know, they have oodles of money and like you can like take them for a ride. And, you know, I'm from Sydney as well. So you do get that feeling that, bit. you know, people do think that Sydney people have a lot of money and they try and bleed you a little bit if you're definitely trying to invest in, in other places in Australia. So I guess one of the things is don't tell people where you're from. Try and pretend you're a local. <laughs> That's it. Until they say, knowledge. can you come? Uh, yeah, and oh, I'm busy. busy. I'm just busy today, <laughs> tomorrow, and the next day. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah, wow. So, like, what advice would you have for, for someone who is trying to pull off a vendor finance deal, a holy grail deal like this, where they don't have all of the funds, but they still want to get a deal done over the line? If you can. Meet in person, I would say, because I never got the opportunity to meet this vendor in person. Meet in person, 
because you can just establish like what they're about and who they are and have a clear plan and like say to them up front, if I don't pay you the money back, like what will happen? And just see what they say because you can gauge like, is this a person that's going to take you to court or not? That's all you care about really because you only care about what's going to happen if it goes bad. Like what is going to happen to you if it goes bad? And then be willing, I guess, to lose. I mean, if you put a personal guarantee on something, okay, what does that mean? Have a full understanding and talk to your lawyer about it as well. Like, what does that actually mean? So if I don't pay and they do take legal action, what happens? Like, what am I up for? And then the lawyer might say, oh, yeah, you have a house. It's worth $2 million. They will take that. Like, they will force you to sell that to get their money back. These are the steps. This will take X amount of time. Just so you clearly know what you're actually signing up for. I think that's the main thing. It's like it's you're so excited in the moment and you you kind of know, but you kind of don't really want to talk about what's actually going to happen when it goes really bad. And I didn't talk enough with him about, oh, what if I can't pay you back in June? What are you going to do? Like I've actually never asked him that question on the phone. I'm yeah. just lucky. I'm lucky he hasn't done anything because he could have also been the other person that just did it. So he obviously doesn't doesn't need the money right now or he didn't need the money no. at the start. Yeah. And yeah. so can you estimate like how much like you have lost on this deal so far or how much you can estimate like how much more it's cost you because it went bad? Yep, because we just did the tax return for last year. So I'm down 93000 So it's not that bad. Could be worse. Oh, it could be, yeah. you know, lost everything. 93000 really, it's not enough money that would ruin your life. I think personally that the stress of it would have been worse than the 93000 losing that. That's the hard part. It is, yeah. And another thing that I would say is also, I mean, my partner's not interested in property at all. So that has been hard, like, to explain to him that things aren't always going well and explain those losses to him like that's been a hard thing to do because he's like where the hell's the money you know what I mean like why are we now in stress like we had a good life and now we're just like throwing thousands every month to these loans so yeah I mean if your partner can be on board it's gonna help but you know it is what it is what it is and so where to from here how do we completely finish this loan the vendor finance loan to the vendor finance um, guy for Townsville and how do we get this clear? So you will have lost a bit of money, but how do we get it so the property is free and clear in your name with no other second mortgages attached to it? So if I could sell the part that has the five units, so the three shops plus the five units, that will completely clear him. That will completely clear any money that I owe on the second pers- uh, private investor on the townhouse as well without selling the townhouse. And that will also reduce like the loan to, I think, 40% on the Mm -hmm. three shops. So if I could do that, that's probably the best outcome. That's what what I want to do. I don't want to, I want to keep it, but that's going to get me out of trouble the fastest because that's now the highest value property that I have that will give me the, the most to pay back. And so you'd still, at the best case scenario, you would retain three shops and the residential unit on the central coast. And you would still have any outstanding debt that you would be down or would you be totally free and clear and no more like debt? 
yes, no more like private loan debt, but I would mm-hmm. still have like mortgages, like regular mortgages on the properties, like investment loans. And the, the three the shops there, if, and they are rented, I, I'm assuming that they would give you positive cash flow. Yes, they would, especially if the loan could be reduced down as well to about, say, 40, 50%, something like that. And what would the value of those shops be if, if you retain them? So they've been sort of quoted like at 650. It started at sort of like 750. I would say it's now down to about 650. And the loan on that would be what? So because I own them together, I have a full loan on all of it. But when I did the numbers on selling the double-story building with the RESI units, the loan will be roughly 50% of that, I'd say. So you could come away with this with having $300,000 of equity that would be actual profit. Yes, but then deduct the loss, say 90K for the loss, plus I'm racking up like about eight, 9,000 a quarter of loss. So I'm tracking it now on a monthly basis and just so I get like quarterly results in my spreadsheet just to know exactly what's going on. And I've obviously have an accountant as well. So yeah, so that has to then, because that's what he said. He said, look, all of this loss that you've had for last year, like we're not going to be able to do anything with it. The quarantine's in the trust because you own it in the trust. So Mm. this will be offset against any profit that you make if you make any profit when you sell so any profit will be offset against that loss okay well that's yeah. a good thing yeah um but you like realistically after that 93000 we'll round it up to 100 you might come away with this with a $200,000 profit or equity and you retain the property well but i put in we put in total it's a little bit spread all over the yep. two projects but we put in 140 so i guess technically we would have to calculate that into the equation as well okay plus the townhouse as well yeah so that's fair yeah. i mean like i'm really appreciate that you, you keep on like obviously saying well hang on we did put this money in and it's not like you're trying to make it really <laughs> no, rosy either no. so it could be about about eighty thousand dollars or yeah. eighty thousand dollars profit i mean any profit is like a blessing right so yeah from where yeah. we were so yeah i mean yeah. If, if that happens like i'm super happy with that and all oh, the 100%. learnings you know yeah, yeah yeah well i think um Ideally, I reckon that if you can get to that place where you sell everything down and you've got the, or at least you've got the three shops, I would hang on to those shops because they are only going to grow in value. So in 10, 20 years, instead of being an $80,000 profit, it could be, you know, a couple of hundred thousand dollars or even more profit and also the the income. And you at least have something to show for this deal, you know, and and retain, you know, so because at the point when you were doing this deal, you couldn't have done it without the creative finance that you put together, you know? So I still think you've done well. Unfortunately, oh, like it, it's gone bad. I don't want you to feel bad about no. like trying and getting stuff done. And I really thank you for like coming on this podcast. Like a lot lesser people wouldn't come on this podcast and talk about how bad their investment has gone. So um, it's not I'm easy, sure... right? Your ego is yeah. very bruised, right? Yeah, so... <laughs> yeah. I thank you so much. Like, it's I'm sure you're going to help thousands and thousands of people to be aware of the mistakes that can be made, or the mistakes that where they can change it in their creative deal when they're putting JV together, when they're putting some vendor finance together. 
what things can happen and how things can go bad. Mm. Um, and I really because... hope that, like, that's why I did this in the first place because I have actually taken on board a lot of things that I've heard from other people. But as I said before, it's it's actually more common that you hear the good stories. So you're like, yep. oh, you don't actually have that much to sort of hold on to when things go bad in your own deals. You're like, oh, I've never heard about this before. Or So if anyone has any questions, I'm happy to answer them. Or if they're working on something that they're not too sure about, or what should I do here? What should I do there? And I'm happy to look at it as well and just say, look, I did that. Don't do that. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> I mean, I think I'm... You've also probably inadvertently paid for an education here as well. Like the amount of things that you've learned. And I know that your next deal, it will be so different to this. And you're going to absolutely hit it out of the park because there's so many things that like, and when you were telling me this deal at the start, like you didn't know, like there was no way you could have known that the interest rates would go up so dramatically that your development, your residential development was going to not be sold in that time frame. I mean... It was just so many things that really just, it's a lot of bad luck, unfortunately, but I know I'm very, very confident that the next deal that you put together will make up for it in tenfold. So definitely I'm um, looking forward to that. So what, what is next for you? So I'm actually looking at creating equity and the only no way that I know how to is to build stuff because at the end of the day, the townhouse deal was a good deal. But I just didn't get to keep any of the profit. It just went to investors. But it still made money, right? So that's what I want to do again. I want to do another development deal and just build and do a few of them and then build up equity and then buy more commercial. So the strategy hasn't changed because that was always what I wanted to do, like generate chunks of cash through development and then buy commercial for cash flow. Yep. And when you talk to your husband about doing the next deal, <laughs> what does he say? Like, is he like, are you serious? Like, what are you talking about? And like, like, honey, seriously, it's going to go right this time. I promise you. <laughs> like, um, what does he say? Yeah, he, he did say after we did the last refinance to you know, chuck 80 grand towards something, he said, can we just not do this for a bit now? <laughs> I'm like, no. <laughs> That's not an option. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the 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 learnings and, and the mistakes have been made now and you need to get back on the horse and actually, you know, get at it. And I, I know that it's a good you're buying definitely market. Do well. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> there is gonna be a, a residential property boom coming very, very soon. And in markets across Australia right now, there's already been a booming market. It's like a boom is considered 8% annual growth on residential markets. And last year, there were markets that were doing that uh, left, right and center. They just don't get widely reported. But I'm very, very interested to hear the next chapter in your story, your investment journey. But if the listeners do want to contact you, where can they go to do that? The best would probably be to just send me an email at cecilia at nordica com.au perfect my guest today has been cecilia axelson thanks so much thanks andrew nice talking to you you too thank you to my guest cecilia axelson it was an absolute ripper of a show thank you to kevin mcleod for the music and remember in the words of grant cardone be obsessed or be average i'm andrew bean signing off This has been a Developer Life production.